0: They hand it to Steven. Great jump cut. 45 seconds. 40. a whole burst to it. Next step to tackle runs about 25 still to 46-yard goal
2: by number 39. Running back,
3: number 29, Eric Dickerson. Johnny Hecker, a high school quarterback. He's going to throw the pick is on it. He's got a first down.
2: Radio with Derek C. Apollo and Michael Stewart.
1: Welcome to Rams Talk Radio. This is Derek C. Apollo. All by my lunch tonight as we're getting more into the tour around the league. That's right, the tour around the league. Tonight, we've got Tyler Rowland from the Titans, a Locked On Titans podcast, and also from the Chicago Audible. We'll do it. And First things first, though, I want to go over any brief Rams news. And guess what? <laughs> there is no Rams news. Nothing we really talk about. Um, it's been a very quiet couple of weeks, getting you know lots of kind of other things around the league. You know, the NFL's uh, got, you know, a couple pitter-patter of signings among other teams. But most of the Rams have been quiet. And quite frankly, that's a good thing for all the stuff that's been going on. Within the Rams organization in the past couple of years, all the talk about Jared Goff and the Todd Gurley and Brandon Cooks and what's going on with the linebacking core and what's going on offensive line and this it's been a very quiet, very quiet offseason since the draft. And honestly, much of the stuff coming out, this kind of leaking through on minicamp and so on and so forth, has been very good, especially related to Matt Stafford and how he's fitting in in the offense. Now that said, I want to point out a couple things to you. One, the Rams have been notoriously tight-lipped, tight-lipped, and they don't really say a whole lot. And we've heard all kinds of coach speak and lip service before when it comes to players. So it could be, it could be a train wrecking camp for all we know. It really could be. But I, I'm choosing just by what we're hearing. I'm, I'm believing the narrative here, at least right now, that it's going pretty well. And matter of fact, it seems at least according to those reports from from McVeigh that that's going that they're very happy with their new acquisition, Matt Stafford. So there we go. All right, now we're going to get into our first tour in the league interview with Will DeWitt from the Chicago Audible. Before we do, want to get our our commercials out of the way so you can just have a straight through show. Um, first things first, though. Could ask you to head over to Apple Music, leave a five star review. We'd really appreciate it. It means a lot to us when our listeners subscribe, leave a great review. If you have feedback for us, like say you want to smash us but don't want to leave that review, send me an email, ramstot 1945 gmailcom We want to hear from you. We want to hear from our listeners. It means the world to us. And quite frankly, we don't hear enough from you. It makes you think that we're all alone in the universe. So again, that's ramstod1945gmail.com.
0: Here's a word from our sponsors. Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash Bluewire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right. Here we go. We'll do it for the Chicago
1: Audible. All right, folks, it is time for our tour in the league to hit Chicago, the Chicago Audible with Will DeWitt, always. He's our Bears guy. When we need something for the Bears, he's on. He's always there, always ready, always prepared. Will, how you doing, man?
3: Derek, I'm doing pretty well. I don't know about always. I feel really prepared. But didn't you have uh, my old co-host Brandon on all the time? I did,
1: and then he, like, I don't know what happened, if he was raptured or something. I don't know. Like, the guy, like, vanished.
3: (laughs) He, he has uh, grad school, uh, getting married, building a house, COVID hit, and uh, we still hang out and talk once in a while, but just in his life, uh, the podcast just doesn't fit right now. But he knows he's welcome back.
1: Whenever he, you know, decides to, you know, be a fan again or something, I don't know.
3: <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see how that kind of goes. Sometimes I catch him up and I'm like, wow, you have
1: not uh, been paying attention. Well, how could he? He's so busy.
3: going around the league. Which, again, everyone does their own things in life.
1: Especially in the last year and a half. It's been a train wreck. Even last season was a train wreck, and that I guess brings the first question here. The Bears have been a team that, you know, we saw them mix in great strides and kind of take a a step back. And I don't know we really saw the real deal for any team last year given the circumstances. Except for Tampa Bay, maybe. I mean, Tampa Bay was pretty legit. The Bears this year though, what do you see for them?
3: I see confusion on my part as to what I want to expect or what I should expect from this team. As you mentioned, right, uh, we've been a little bit of a rivalry uh, between the Rams and the Bears over the past few years. It seems like we're playing each other every season now. And, you know, you saw a team in 2018 uh, that was ferocious, a ferocious defense, an offense that was playing pretty well just outside the top 10. And then 2019, a little bit of a setback. 2020, seeing it again on both sides of the ball. Uh, no more Mitchell Trubisky. Nick Foles doesn't seem like he's going to be really a part of the equation. Now we have Andy Dalton, Justin Fields. And uh, as a Chicago Bears fan, I feel like I don't know how to feel about the season until I know who uh, will be under center, which I think is going to be a big old question mark probably through the preseason. Uh, here in Chicago, we hear the talk that you know once Justin's ready, uh, he'll be the guy. Uh, until then, Andy Dalton uh, is our starting quarterback. Uh, So if I want to play both sides of the equation here, Andy Dalton, I think he's an upgrade over Mitchell Trubisky. So offensively, I feel like we're going to be a little bit more on rhythm. Uh, Matt Nagy should be able to open up his playbook a bit, and I believe that with our revamped offensive line, made some good moves in the draft uh, to kind of change our bookends or tackles a bit. I think things should help uh, on that side. And defensively, last year we kind of scooted out of the top 10 uh, in most categories, but uh, that's the side of the ball that I'm Really kind of curious to see what happens. Uh, we brought back nose tackle Eddie Goldman, who opted out last year for COVID. Uh, he's that big anchor guy in the middle, and our run defense suffered without him. Uh, we should have him back this year. So to answer your question in the most long-winded way possible,
1: I don't know. I think we're going to hear that a lot this year. I think mm-hmm. it's one of those transition years, that the salary cap. With the sour cap change, where we expected to be in the 200 and said it got down to 189 ish or whatever, 83, something like that. It was not what anybody expected, uh, at least at first. So, everybody's team and rosters got changed up for you. You're getting a quarterback again. You didn't get Trubisky all too long ago. And now you're getting a new quarterback, starting fresh from there. However, I'm an Ohio State guy. And I got to tell you, Justin feels legit. We got a dude. You gotta do and When I was sitting there thinking, Forty niners don't take him. Don't take him. Don't take. I don't want to see him two times a year every year for the next decade. You guys took him. Now I'd rather have him been in the AFC, but <laughs> but Justin Fields is legit. You're he will be starting before the end of the year. I'm pretty darn sure on that. Um, I don't think it'll be week one. Thank goodness, but. That's just my view. When I could tell you all about Justin Fields, man. I, that, I, all about him. Break that boy down. So, you know, you guys got a great one. You got a great one. What is your initial impression of him?
3: Oh, very much. I mean, yours is a little bit more intimate, right? You're an Ohio State guy. Uh, I live in Bloomington, Indiana, so I'm an IU football guy uh, when it comes to college. Just based off where I'm at, good season tickets. So uh, my impressions of him... He's cool, calm, and collected. Uh, He's a calculated type of guy. Uh, I love his personality, uh, how he's been able to bond with his teammates, already commanding a huddle, uh, taking that good leadership role, even though he's a rookie. Um, But just when you watch him, I can't find out what he doesn't have. He has the deep ball. uh, He can throw a touch. uh, He has the awareness. He can throw guys open. These are a lot of things that I haven't seen out of a Bears quarterback in quite some time. Uh, but then also the mobility, you know, with his legs, and he's just someone when the moment gets bigger, he steps up to the plate and he can usually knock it out of the park. So I'm I'm impressed on every level. Uh, I haven't found a red flag. Heck, I haven't found a yellow flag for him right now. I, I feel like I just hope Chicago doesn't screw it up because in
1: my lifetime, you know, we get That's- quarterbacks with promise. And things kind of yeah, don't go our way. They find a way to screw it up. Like, you should accidentally yeah. have gotten a guy right by now. But no, I mean, when was the last time it's if you developed anybody? Jim Harbaugh? If you can count developed. Jim Harbaugh. Kyle Orton. Yeah, if but Kyle, yeah, was, yeah Kyle, Kyle Orton. Kyle yeah, Orton, slightly. Yeah, I guess. Uh, slightly. I, I look at, I look at Phil just, you, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I usually don't talk like this on our show, but... The guy I respect with, especially the Clemson thing, and what I would really hope Bears fans would get is this guy has a giant set of you know what. Like, he has guts and he will take some hits. He will make the throws, putting his body in jeopardy. Bears fans are going to love him for that. The team is going to love him for that. He is the guy. He is your future. And I really, really hope, with all that in mind, the Bears protect him. That's the big thing. The sky's the limit for him. I think he was the best quarterback in the draft. And quite frankly, that means over Lawrence, honestly. Mm-hmm. Has the highest ceiling, in my view, anyways. Lawrence is pretty much where he's going to be. I mean, you're not going to, he, he's besides reading a defense better, honestly, like how much better can he be? Where you're just scratching the surface with Justin Fields. He could be a Bears legend if they do this right. And that, I mean, that's honestly how I view That's how I view. Them. So, I mean, taking to the rest of this draft. How did you feel about the rest of the draft of the Bears?
3: Loved it. So, uh, on our podcast, we did like a mock draft uh, a couple weeks prior uh, via like some simulations and just. And the best part about it was we did a trade up for Justin Fields, and we traded back up into the first round for Devin Jenkins. And the Bears in real life traded up in the second round, and they got Devin Jenkins. So our Last mock draft actually kind of came true for the first two picks, uh, except the Bears got better deals. Uh, I think we traded up to five and back into like 20 something, and we got Fields at 11. Uh, Tevin Jenkins there in the 30s. Uh, so I'm feeling good about the draft. Tevin Jenkins, my only concern is coming out. Everyone kind of pegged him as a right tackle prospect, but the Bears are adamant that there, he's going to be the starting left tackle. So the big question is can he make that transition? Uh, we let Charles Leno Jr., uh, our starting left tackle for the past, I want say, five, six years. Uh, go, just do the cap casualty. Uh, he had about $10 million uh, as a cap hit. Not, quite honestly, his play hasn't been worth that kind of money anyway. Uh, so now mm-hmm. we're trying to see if the draft pick will work out. Uh, Larry Borum, another tackle. He's a right tackle guy. Uh, we'll see if he's going to be in the mix for uh, maybe a starting job. Um, I really like Cleo uh, Herbert, a uh, running back that we, we just picked up. He's a good all-purpose back. And really my biggest concern or gripe with this Bears personnel-wise in Chicago and offense, besides quarterback, over the past few seasons, has been outside of like a David Montgomery, they haven't had like a true running back. You know, Tariq Cohen, he's more of that scat back receiver type, kind of small. Mm-hmm. Then we had Cordero Patterson, who's a wide receiver playing running back. So now we have on top of that, uh, Khalil Herbert, who's an all purpose back like Montgomery. And we also got Damian Williams. I know you said draft, but we picked him up in free agency, uh, who's coming from Kansas City, a guy that had, I think, 500 plus rushing yards in the playoffs just a couple years ago sat out last year due to COVID. So I feel really good about the backfield. Uh, And then really, other than that, we picked up uh, Thomas Graham, uh, a corner that everyone is feeling like could be a diamond in the rough here. Uh, We do need to find a way to replace Kyle Fuller, uh, our longtime starting cornerback here in this defense for almost the past, I would say, eight years. Uh, He's no longer with us due to cap restrictions. Uh, And then Tonga, uh, Kyrus Tonga, a nose tackle that we picked up. Uh, I like what he brings to the table. Uh, He's someone that maybe if he even sits on the practice squad, uh, just to kind of start things off again, seventh round pick, you're hoping to see if something sticks. Um, But I do like going with the nose tackle just due to, I mentioned Eddie Goldman uh, coming back after he took the year off with COVID, our nose tackle. He actually just opted out of the mandatory mini camp uh, as well in Chicago. So I'm a little concerned. Uh, We haven't seen him in the building for over, you know, 14, 16 months. Uh, So what kind of shape is he going to be in at camp? And, uh, how does that impact this defense? Because we missed him last year. And the Bears didn't really make any big moves at that position. Uh, as you can tell, they trust he'll come back uh, in shape and ready to go. But uh, we'll see how that kind of shakes out.
1: So with the opting out, I didn't, you know, we didn't really have guys opt out last year. And you're talking about, I mean, a nose tackle, a starring nose tackle for that matter is pretty big deal. And quite frankly... Oh, I mean, yeah, literally. Chicago itself is a different town than Los Angeles. Los Angeles, in Los Angeles, you have to compete with 45 different entertainment venues, you know, for people's dollars. Chicago, you still have competition, but it's a little more focused. And quite frankly, in Chicago, in the, in the winter, it's Bears time. How are Bears fans taking to having guys opting out and then opting out of a camp? I think last year,
3: no one minded uh, the opt-out just due to COVID and all the concerns. Uh, I know that, uh, I, I believe, I know Damian Williams, uh, the running back we picked up, uh, he opted out Kansas City just due I think his mom had cancer, uh, and he didn't want to put her at risk. So I know guys have good reasons to opt out. Uh, I didn't see any Bears fans really that PO'd about it. Um, but me personally, and what I've seen a couple grumblings today about Eddie Goldman is like, you know, until he comes back and proves that he can be come back and be the same player that uh, he's proven to be, which is, you know, a top 10 run stuffing defensive tackle in the NFL, the Bears have a problem uh, because our run defense suffered without him last year. Uh, we're having guys playing out of position. You know, your five tech playing nose. That's not super ideal. Uh, you know, they're not as strong. Uh, the double teams were just killing us up the middle and we're just getting gassed, you know, right up the gut. Uh, so I believe. If he you know comes back in camp and he's slow out of shape, uh just doesn't look like he's you know in you know game ready or even practice ready. I feel like you know people are gonna not you know get out of here, but frustrations really gonna mount and he's very important uh, as you mentioned, so personally, I'm getting antsy uh just I know how important it is for entire defense for him to come back and without him and with the moves that the Bears made uh, Tonga... I know he's getting first-team reps, but for your seventh-round defensive tackle to get first-team reps, that's not ideal. idea. You, you don't want to bank on him being able to step up to that magnitude. So I think there is some real concern here in Chicago
1: with it. Do you have concerns overall with the offense, given the problems it's had in the past with other quarterbacks under center, or are you happy with the personnel you got overall? I like the personnel overall. I
3: mean, we still have Allen Robinson. Uh, Darnell Mooney last year brought some serious speed to the table uh, to our wide out core. We just didn't have a quarterback that can hit him when he's open down the field. I know the whole Jalen Ramsey double move is the one that you always see on like social media uh, Darnell Mooney, you know, pretty much taking him out of his cleats. Uh, but yeah, I like what we have on offense. I think our running back room's improved, wide receiver room should be improved, quarterback. Obviously, improvement there and offensive line. I think that's the biggest question mark. Uh, I feel like, in theory, we should be better, um, but of course, when you have an unproven rookie playing at a different position in what you played in college, uh, that's going to always be a question mark until you see improve otherwise. Uh, but I feel like our interior uh, with James Daniels, our starting guard, coming back, we lost real early last season. I feel real good about what we have going on up front there. So i would say overall. I am cautiously optimistic that Andy Dalton, if he's going to be a bridge even for, you know, a month, a couple of weeks here to start this season, should be uh, allow this team to play offense the way that Matt Nagy's been wanting to play offense in Chicago, mm-hmm. but when you have a Mitchell Trubisky that was holding it back, we I don't think we really got to see what it's all about just yet. Uh, even it took one practice for Justin Fields for our head coach to mention Oh, it's amazing watching how he's throwing guys open or anticipating these throws, anticipating these routes. And with Mitch, our problem was he was a guy that if he didn't see the guy open, he wouldn't throw it. He could not throw someone open. He wouldn't have the trust uh, to throw it to the spot, and his receiver would be there. Uh, Too many times they had to present him his numbers and almost slag him down just to make that throw. So I think we're going to see an offense that has a little bit more rhythm, uh, a little bit more creativity and we're going to see guys be able to make some plays after the catch just due to you know, the right kind of play call, uh, scheming some guys open, which has been uh, Matt Nagy's his self-proclaimed biggest attribute. Uh, I think we saw a little bit in 2018. It's just been a hard time seeing it since, but cautiously optimistic we can get there.
1: So looking at this team right now in the NFC North, where do you rank them?
3: There's so many unknowns, right? Like what's uh, Jared Goff going to do in Detroit? You know, without that defense to bail them out. What's Kirk Cousins in, you know, Minnesota feels like they're going through a mini rebuild right now as well. Is Aaron Rodgers actually not going to come back to Green Bay? There's so many unknowns uh, for me to really put a great answer on it. Uh, I feel like second feels make makes sense. I feel like Aaron Rodgers comes back personally. I feel like every year there's some saga between him and the Packers just because there's something else going on in Green Bay and they want a little news attention. That's my personal opinion on the whole matter. Um, But I'd say we'd be right there in the middle, probably second. If Justin Fields gets out there early and he can elevate this team and he's not overwhelmed, which there's nothing showing me that he should be overwhelmed. And if the Bears feel like it's the right time, man, he has, as you mentioned, the potential to be special. And if he does end up being special and it's this year, I feel like our defense should be fringe top 10 again. Man, I mean, it's hard not to get excited when you think about it that way. So I'd say as of right now, maybe looking second behind Green Bay, assuming Aaron Rodgers comes back. Uh, if he's gone, I feel like it's anybody's race. And I, if I, would, I would like our chances in this race, uh, just given you know all the moves we made this year. And we were a playoff team last year, so I feel like we can have some confidence uh, to kind of be yeah. in
1: contention in the division. I think they win the division if Rodgers is gone. I think the Bears have a lot of pieces, did a lot of things right in the offseason, in my view. that I mean, if Aaron Rodgers isn't there, but honestly, even if he is there, you can only keep having so many waves in your organization with your quarterback before things start to collapse, you know? All of a sudden, nobody, nobody puts it to their potential. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Green Bay, I think, is the the big X factor in the entire conference, quite frankly. Like, every other team, except for maybe the Saints with with Drew Brees being gone, like, this is Aaron Rodgers. He's one of the best ever to play the game. And even with Mike McCarthy long gone, he still can't get along with your own franchise. Go figure. (laughs) We'll see.
3: Yeah, it's really interesting. It's just... I feel like, and again, I'm a Bears fan, so I get torched by this guy two times a year for over a decade now. Mm-hmm. It's, I feel like if I get my hopes up here in June that he's not going to be there come September, and then he is, it's going to make for a real dreadful year. So I'm just going to act like he's showing up until it's officially not an option and he's somewhere else.
1: All right, last question, though. Mm-hmm. Are the Bears a playoff team this year?
3: Yeah. I think so. Uh, I, again, we were there last year. Uh, I know we were, I think, the last seed in it last year, but with the improvements that we've made uh, and we should get capable quarterback play, uh, as I mentioned, uh, the defense will keep us in games. There's times last year where I think it pretty much was if the other team scores 20 points, we may as well kiss it goodbye. I don't think that happens. I think Justin Fields gives you a touchdown a game minimum uh, compared to Mitchell Trubisky if he's out there. And just that point spread, the Bears would have been a thirteen and three team uh, a year ago if you would have just given them seven points uh, additional per game. So I feel like with competent quarterback play, I can I can say they're a, they're a playoff team, winning the division again. Maybe that's an Aaron Rodgers question more than a Bears question. Um, but in terms of looking at the NFC and what the Bears have done and what I'm expecting out of them, uh, I do envision having some postseason play in our future. All
1: right. So we'll we've. We've connected, connected every year. I think now it's it four years almost. Is it three or four years. Close it's to it. Uh,
2: yeah. Two, four two, our
1: two sites. So can you let people know, though, just in case they don't know where to find you, where they find Chicago Audible, where they find all your stuff?
3: Yeah. Well, if you're listening to this podcast, whatever that app may be, just look up the Chicago Audible, and I'm sure we're there. Uh, on Twitter, you can find us uh, at the Chicago Audible. Uh, same thing, uh, you know, Facebook, the Chicago Audible. Uh, Instagram, don't worry about it. We don't really go on there. <laughs> uh, and then we also have a pretty good YouTube channel So if, uh, with you know, cool videos, and we do our recordings there live as well. So really, wherever you listen to podcasts, wherever you watch a podcast, just look up the Chicago Audible, and I'm certain you'll find us.
1: All right, awesome. Thanks so much, Will. Glad to have you on, and we'll talk again very soon as we're getting closer and closer to camp.
3: Yes, sir. We're getting there. I'm excited to hop on and talk about a real matchup here
1: week one. Outstanding. A big one. Big one. Uh, It could set the tone for the entire year, especially for the Rams. Especially for the Rams in that division. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. The thing about the Bears is they have talent. The question is whether or not they're going to put it together. I'm not confident that Andy Dalton is the answer there, but I do believe that Justin Fields is the future. The question is, can the Bears develop a quarterback? It's been an awful long time since they've done that. And Justin Fields, in my view, is the most talented quarterback from this draft. I'm saying it now. I'm not saying he's the best quarterback. I'm saying he's the most talented. Can they develop him? If they can, he's going to be a star. I'm saying it outright. I'm not just saying it because of an Ohio State guy. Obviously, because I've seen a lot of film on him. I've seen what he can do. I've seen his toughness. I've seen the way he throws. I've seen the way he moves. He is a star in waiting. The question is whether or not the Bears can develop. Defensively, they should be fine. I like their chances in the division, especially if Green Bay continues in the path they're on. All right, so there you go. Now, moving on to the Tennessee Titans. I was kind of saving this one. I was trying to pair the Bears with another NFC North team. But we had a really great conversation with Tyler Rowland from the Locked On Titans podcast. Really enjoyed We got into a lot of things about the Rams, about the Titans, about football in general. And I just want to get out to you as soon as possible. Here you go. Here's Tyler Rowland from the Locked On Titans podcast. All right, folks. I'm here. Tyler Rowland from the Locked On Titans podcast as part of our tour around the league and this is a kind of, you know, a little bit of a history here. It, it, the Rams beat the Titans for their own Super Bowl victory. They beat the Titans in 2017 for their uh, division title, the first one in like a gajillion years. They've exchanged some players over the years. Coaches, a little went through there. Roger Saffold has been there. I mean, I, there's a weird link to these teams over the course of history, and yet here we are in different conferences and talking about a team. I think the Titans, are, who are very dangerous, And I can't wait to hear about where this team is going this year. Tyler, how are you doing?
4: I'm doing fantastic. And yeah, absolutely. There is a historical link between the franchises that cannot be ignored, unfortunately. The Titans are on the downside of that and the biggest moment of that lineage. But uh, I would love, I'm a a fan of the way the Rams play football. I'm sure we'll dive into that a little bit later when we get to talking some ball. But uh, hoping that uh, we could possibly see a, a Rams-Titans Super Bowl little rematch this year. Both teams seem like they're uh, equipped enough to make that run. So maybe this conversation is a, a preface to uh, a, a potential Super Bowl rematch, if we're lucky.
1: It might be, but there are teams that get in the way. Tampa Bay, Kansas mm-hmm. City, you know, at Cleveland looks darn good. I mean, they they went and fixed everything that was broke up there. So there's a there's a lot going on. I mean, I can, I'm not even confident the Rams win their division. Honestly, it's just a very difficult division. So yeah. I, I just look at this year and there's still in my view the COVID, you know, X factor, which team kind of comes off COVID and, and gets things in order quickly. You know, it's been you know, teams like the Rams you can actually go interview people this year at all lean to the draft. Well, we had a wacky draft. For when it comes to the Titans, how have they had to adjust to the craziness of the last year and a half?
4: Well, I, I I think from the Titans' perspective, they've been one of the teams that has struggled the most with the impact that COVID's had on... Obviously, we talk about the games, everybody, you know, COVID protocol, stuff like that, the illness itself. But but when you talk about how it's affected the procedure, how it's affected the process, the normal flow of things in the NFL, I think it's fair to say that the Titans were one of the teams that have handled that as poorly as possible. You look at their first-round pick in 2020 with Isaiah Wilson couldn't even make it a year in the NFL. He's already out of the league. You look at the failure that was Vic Beasley. They signed him as a free agent last offseason. He held when do you see a guy sign as a free agent and then immediately hold out in his first training camp? That was strange. So to see that he didn't have any impact. They cut him halfway through the year. Jadavian Clowney, while I don't give general manager John Robinson any flack for the Jadavian Clowney signing, it's fair to say that he's a guy who hasn't really ever hit his potential. And it's fair to wonder if it's because he doesn't put in enough work off the field, which I could say is a football character issue. And football character in that uh, experiment or that analysis is best helped by these in-person interviews and interactions. So it's obvious to me that the Titans losing that in-person interaction that we've seen every team lose over the last year and a half, as you mentioned. It's hurt the Titans more than most teams. They've handled it more poorly than most teams. And I don't think there's any any other way around that at this moment in time. So hopefully coming out of that, and as things get quote unquote back to normal, I hate saying that, but that's the, the best way to put it for lack of a better phrase. As things get closer to back to normal, hopefully that'll allow the Titans to, to not miss in those ways like they have due to the COVID limitations. And that'll allow them to make that Super Bowl push that I'm optimistic they can.
1: Now you mentioned Isaiah Wilson. And just for the people who don't, follow the Titans, which is pretty much none of our listeners. We don't. So what happened that you mentioned is already gone?
4: Yeah, yeah. So uh, the Titans first round pick from 2020, pick number 29, a 20-year-old offensive tackle out of Georgia. Uh, A lot of potential as a player, a very young guy, though, and clearly the money got to him in the NFL. Uh, He was out of of shape, wasn't taking the coaching very well in training camp, barely played throughout the year because he simply just – Wasn't ready. Couldn't make the jump. Couldn't get right. Had multiple incidents off the field involving automobiles, a DUI, doing donuts in an intersection in Nashville. Uh, Tried to, or almost tried to jump out of a window in a college party. Remember, this is all going on during COVID. A fender bender and an intersection that was a little strange. Then he gets suspended from the team late in the year. Gets traded to the Dolphins. The Dolphins cut the guy within three weeks when he's dancing on his car in Instagram videos drinking uh illegal drinks i mean any of your listeners lean promethazine whatever you know whatever you want to call it i sound dated of course but he just had a a whale of a time the dolphins got rid of him and and we'll probably never see him in the nfl again so when that's your first round pick in a covid impacted all season that kind of begins the questions i mentioned the free agent name so but obviously that's behind the titans at this moment in time last year just good examples of how you know, the COVID impacted last year and a half can, can really take a toll on a team who's not prepared to handle it. And the Titans showed that they were not, but uh, they've made some good strides. They went 11 and 5 and won the, the division, regardless of those mistakes. So with that in mind, and hopefully this being a better offseason that they're coming off of now, the Titans can springboard themselves to higher heights.
1: Well, let's talk about that offseason. What were the big moves that they made this year to really change the game for them?
4: Sure. So the Titans really struggled in pass rush last year. They had the second least amount of sacks of any playoff team in NFL history with only 19, and they got four of those in the last week of the season. So they were uh, one of the poorest pass rushes we've seen for a good team. In recent memory, they had to fix that. They added Danico Autry from the Indianapolis Colts on the D-line, along with Bud Dupree, the outside linebacker formerly of the Pittsburgh Steelers. That was their big addition. They also added a ton of defensive talent in the draft first round pick cornerback Caleb Farley uh, mid-round pick Elijah Molden the defensive back out of Washington for any of the Pac-12 people who happen to also listen to your show may recognize that name on the offensive side of the ball uh, not going to bury the lead here whatsoever the Titans added Julio Jones what a trade sending out a second round pick and then uh, a mid-round pick swap to make that happen so that's really the, the big highlights of what the Titans have been able to do throughout this offseason. Big free agent signings on defense, a lot of defensive additions in the draft, and then the big Julio Jones trade in the, uh, the summer session of the offseason. So that's the big moves that they've made so far.
1: One of the things that really blew me away was the fact that it was really only a second-rounder and swapping middle-rounders that got the Titans one of the best in the game. Uh, yep. Did it surprise you all as much as surprised us? Well,
4: I I don't think so. And I I think um, for me personally on the podcast, we talked a lot about the a, a second round pick in next year's draft being the baseline compensation for this deal. And the reason that I wasn't entirely caught off guard is because it made so much sense. The Falcons had their draft class that was unsigned. They needed. They had about thirteen to fifteen million dollars. They needed to clear out and. Leo Jones was worth about $15 million. So sending him out in a trade and getting some draft class uh, production back in later drafts that you can move around with. That makes sense for a a team in the Falcons who got a new coach who actually came from the Titans and, and Arthur Smith got a new general manager. So they're obviously looking to turn over the roster a little bit, which would require extra draft picks. Then you can't even sign your own draft class, like I said, because of the cap constraints that they were in for a a previous regime that they didn't have anything to do with. So when you add that all together and the underneath the the surface bubbling that Julio Jones wasn't happy in general, all three of those factors, the Titans needing wide receiver help, the Falcons in the cap condition they were in, and then Julio Jones being ready to move on. It made sense for both sides to be the trade partners that they were, and obviously a, a big time move for the Titans team and their fan base.
1: Now, what does this do, in your view, for the offense? I mean, obviously, there's the big big play receiver. But overall, for the entire receiving core, for what the Titans try and do offensively, how does the Jones trade really make things happen for them?
4: Okay, yeah, this is a great question. I'm actually going to name drop the Rams and Sean McVay in here. But first, I kind of want to set the scenario of what the Titans were facing. So the Titans lost tight end Jonu Smith and wide receiver Corey Davis in free agency. And you thought, okay, the Titans are definitely going to take a step back, even though they still have Derrick Henry, Ryan Tannehill, and A.J. Brown on offense, that trio, they're probably going to take a little bit of a step back from being a top-five offense because they lost two guys that were pretty important, and they didn't replace them with anybody of value in free agency or the draft. Now, you, I talked about the free agency additions and the draft mm-hmm. additions on defense, so as a Titans fan or someone analyzing the team, you're thinking, Okay, the offense maybe takes a step back, but the defense will get a little bit better with the additions. But what the Julio Jones trade does is it gives the Titans a chance for their offense to be just as good as it was last year. And if you take the Titans offense that was as good as it was last year and you add in an improved Titans defense, well, that takes the Titans from what they were last year, 11-5 and division winner, to maybe with the change in schedule, maybe 12 and 5 this year and a chance to actually be a Super Bowl contender. Now, digging down deeper and that Rams tie in that I mentioned, schematically speaking, the Titans were the heaviest team in the NFL last year and running multiple tight end formations. Two tight ends, three tight ends out on the field all the time. And that makes sense. The Titans run the ball with Derrick Henry. That's something any of, you know, NFL fans would know immediately right away. So, The Titans lost Jonu Smith at tight end. They didn't really replace him with anything, and the tight ends that they're going to be rolling out aren't really game changers. So how do you use your wide receivers and have more wide receivers out on the field? Because now you have Julio Jones, Josh Reynolds, a guy who came over from the Rams, and A.J. Brown. How do you utilize those three wide receivers to mimic multiple tight end formations? And the Rams do this excellent using Cooper Cup in the slot motioning him into the formation to almost act as a pseudo tight end because Cooper Cup's physical enough to get the job done in the blocking game. So the Titans can do that now with their big physical wide receivers. So they can use or they can mimic the the heavy tight end formations they used last year but have more wide receivers on the field, which can really affect defenses and the personnel they use. So, stealing from the Rams and what they do a little bit on offense with Cooper Cup, I think the Titans not only solved a talent issue, but gave themselves a schematic advantage now by adding Julio Jones to the offense.
1: I mean, and don't underestimate Josh Reynolds. He was criminally underused with the Rams, and I mean, he wasn't really ever... Developed into what he was supposed to be. And I think injuries played a role in that. Not to him, by the way, to other players like Brandon Cooks. When he was supposed to go out there and when he was drafted, when he was drafted by the Rams, it was this is a guy that can develop into a sideline flyer, a deep threat, big guy, 6'3, 195 at the time. He's, he's you know, he can fly. Nice, skinny guy, had a good, good jump radius. Right. And instead they use him in the slot. Cup got hurt, you know. Cooks got hurt, and they started using him anywhere they could. And they never were really able to develop into what we all thought he would be. And maybe the Titans can do that. Maybe the Titans yeah, can do I that. I think
4: it's possible. I mean, with A.J. Brown having capabilities to play in the slot, Julio Jones, as he gets older, I think will have an opportunity to play more in the slot. It can give you a chance to keep Josh Reynolds outside, continue to let him work on that. But I also think the Titans will at certain points in times, use Josh Reynolds in the slot, only if to use him in the way that I was mentioning earlier as kind of like a pseudo-tight end, just because he is such a big guy, uh, I, th- I think that could help. But if they allow him to kind of hone in on one position and actually try to improve and get good opportunities, I'm very excited about Josh Reynolds. He can't be thrilled about the Julio Jones trait, right? I mean, he had to be thinking he was going to get a chance to be the wide receiver, too for the Titans and, and show his stuff. But, you know, hopefully Julio Jones pulling attention away will only allow him to get more open opportunities and, and improve and be the player that I think he could be and that obviously you had hopes that he could be as well.
1: I mean, if I were him, I'd be thrilled, actually. If I were him, I'd be thrilled. Because There's when, a fair argument. I mean, in, with the Rams, he never really had that kind of guy to look at. Brandon Cooks was a right. was their deep threat, but that's what he did. He didn't. Really, he wasn't really... For, for as good as Brandon Cooks was, he wasn't a complete receiver. He wasn't a guy you were, you were trying to throw on the slot, even the Rams did. The Rams did throw across the middle, which was kind of dumb. Um, he never had a true, tall receiver who um, can use his bar the way Julio Jones does. So we're kind of learning from So if I'm Josh Reynolds and I still have hopes of being that guy, I'm glad Julio Jones is there because Huggler not going to be there forever. He's not going to be your long-term guy. And, you know, for... And again, the Rams got him mid-round guy, fourth-round guy, but all the potential was there. I did not like seeing him go, and I didn't like the way the Rams uh, were not able to develop that. But then again, he was the Rams are so deep at receiver. Unfortunately, they just weren't deep enough at the one part I needed, which was the long man, and right. they just never got him out there. It's a shame. So I mean, and how does? Your draft this year work into this big scheme, this big plan.
4: Well, obviously, as I mentioned earlier, it was heavy defensive. And when we talk about the Titans from 2020, as we mentioned, a, a really bad defensive team all the way around. And a lot of that had to do with the inability of the pass rush. But also, a lot of it had to do with the health and the play of the cornerbacks as well. You don't have a defense that bad unless both the biggest facets of the defense are struggling, and that was the case. So the Titans go out, and they sign Janoris Jenkins, Jackrabbit Jenkins. If he heard this and he heard me call him Janoris, he'd be mad. The guy likes to go by Jackrabbit. So that's what we call him, Jackrabbit Jenkins. uh, He's going to be a good addition, even as a veteran, already getting rave reviews in camp for his mentality, his professionalism, the aggression that uh, he uh, goes into practice with every day. So you like to see that. I mean, the Titans totally overhauled. The secondary cut both starting corners and the starting strong safety, Malcolm Butler, Adoree Jackson, and then Kenny Vaccaro, respectively. So when you think about that, they added in Caleb Farley in the first round. Now, he was expected to be a top-ten pick before uh, a pre-draft back surgery, and that is something to worry about. But a back surgery, the the fear is is that he won't be able to have a long career. Well, he should be able to play pretty good this year. Mm -hmm. Elijah Molden, who I mentioned earlier, is a slot cornerback out of Washington. They should help. The Titans added Jenkins, as I mentioned there. So that's big help for the secondary. Also in the draft, they added Monty Rice at linebacker out of Georgia. I expect him to contribute at minimum, at least on special teams. And while there's a little bit of, um, I guess, uncertainty here with fourth-round pick Rashad Weaver out of pit, he is facing some legal issues, but there seems to be some optimism that they won't be serious. Uh, He's expected to help on the defensive line with the free agent additions I mentioned earlier. So the Titans only can hope that they get more out of the draft than they got last year. We talked about the first round pick, but second round pick, cornerback out of LSU, Christian Fulton, didn't play much last year due to injury. And third round running back, Darrington Evans out of Appalachian State, who was meant to help spell Derrick Henry and be a threat in the passing game. He barely got to play very much because of injuries last year. So the Titans are almost essentially getting two draft classes back at one time, and you have to hope that they'll be able to help on the defensive side of the ball for the Titans who have to improve on that side if they want to be taken seriously
1: as a Super Bowl threat. Uh, I, well, I mean, I see them as a Super Bowl threat. I'm curious on the of Jendorshink, and you've seen him real high on him. We obviously have lots of experience with him and mm-hmm. weren't real high on him by the time we left, <laughs> but right. um, people grow up. People do grow up. Overall, though, when you look at the, at the schedule for the Titans this year, I mean, you guys are you're you're playing the NFC West. We'll see you again this year. Yes. Um, matter of fact, I'll be at the Titans game. Uh, oh, so.
4: that's fantastic. That's one of the uh, highlight games of the season, in my opinion, taking a look at the Titans schedule. And I'm pretty far away from Los Angeles, but if I could snap my fingers and go to any of the games on the Titans schedule, it would, be, it would be that game against the Rams on Sunday night football.
1: Well, I mean, I live pretty far away, too, actually. I'm out of state, but we're, we're, we're going to make magic happen for this one. I mean, well, you got to make magic happen sometimes. Um, yeah, i
4: got to applaud that effort.
1: I mean, and yeah, <laughs> cost arm, leg, you know, firstborn <laughs> child, but you make the sacrifices necessary. But the NFC West, in my view, most of the cult division in football right now. Every one of the teams in that division can finish above 500. I agree. I'd say I at agree. least two of them could be Super Bowl contenders this year, maybe three. Um, mm-hmm. It is a tough division, but you got the Colts in there as well. Uh, Jacksonville will be better. How much? I don't know. You got Buffalo on your schedule, the Kansas City on your schedule. Uh, you got the Saints on there. Who knows what we're getting from the Saints? You don't need to talk right. about the Texans. The Patriots are there. We'll see. Patriots? Okay. I mean, it's not an easy schedule. The Steelers, Niners, right. Dolphins. I mean, uh, when you look at the schedule, what really gets in your way at this point?
4: Well, I think there's a very difficult stretch in the middle of the year that could give the Titans fits. It's kind of like what we saw last year. The Titans started out real hot, 5-0. and They had a very difficult middle part of the schedule where they dropped a lot of, a lot of games that they didn't play very well. Uh, then at the end of the year, they finished hot as well, and I think the Titans will have to do that again this year if they expect to, I guess, hit the ceiling that I'm thinking they could potentially hit. If you look at this middle stretch here, starting with Buffalo, I believe it's week five against Buffalo. You have a home primetime game against the Bills. The Bills are a great team, in my opinion. It's going to be a very difficult game. Immediately after that, you have a home game against the Kansas City Chiefs. So that's an easy way to go 0-2, playing Buffalo and Kansas City back-to-back. Then the Titans play their most difficult division opponent, Press repeat on the last 25 years. They have a game against the Indianapolis Colts on Halloween in Indianapolis. Then they fly out to the other side of the country on Sunday night football to play the Rams. Then they come home and play the Saints. I mean, that's just a really tough stretch. Bills, Chiefs, Colts, Rams, Saints in the middle of the season. If the Titans go 1-4 and during that stretch, which is very possible, that could erode how... High they could go in terms of their regular season potential, getting home playoff games, winning the division, all of that. So that five game stretch right there will really determine what the Titans' regular season finish looks like, in my opinion.
1: I mean, I'm looking at the schedule right now. I mean, at least I have I haven't gone into week five, week six, into the Bills. I haven't gone in four and one to that Bills game. So yeah,
4: yeah, I mean that's I mean, definitely possible, and they'll have to be. They'll have to be. That's that's kind of the case. But four and one, I think is would be um, really optimistic with a game against Seattle in Seattle and a game against the Colts. Uh, I just have a PTSD from all the times that the Colts have absolutely smacked the Titans around. Seems like they always do. So if the Titans are able to win one of the Colts and Seahawks games, one of those games, of course, I'm sure you're hoping that it's the Seahawks game, can't hurt the Rams. But if the Titans can win either of those games early on, they have the Jags, the Texans, and the Cardinals, I feel like there's a good chance they could go 4 on one in those games, and they'll need to. Well,
1: I mean, there's something about the Seahawks, too. The Seahawks tend to start the season slow mm-hmm. and finish the season slow. That's how they've been the last couple of years. They get hot right in the middle. So, you know, having them early in the year is a good thing. Second thing about that is okay. at home at what's now Lumenfield, the Seahawks aren't the team they were four years ago there. They are right. suddenly mortal. The Rams have been beating them up in, at that field for a couple of years now. Don't I, would, I mean, I wouldn't mark that game as a loss by any stretch of the imagination because C- the Seahawks are not the same team they have been there in Seattle. There, I said it. I mean, let somebody get mad at me. Yay. I mean, it's just, it's just hey, the reality. I'm, and I'm not trying to be an antagonist, be, you know, being division rivals. It's just, in my view, what it's been. I've seen the Rams do it time and time again. I've seen other teams go up there and smash them. The Seahawks are not the same team they were under Pete Carroll in, in Seattle. So I, I think there's a a really good chance that you even get to that week six game five and up oh.
4: yeah I, I mean well the uh, one first off i love i love everything that you're saying i love the optimism that you're breathing into my because i do i i do at this moment in time have it marked as a loss so that optimism really is like wind uh, under my wings quite frankly i'm <laughs> soaring based on that um but i also think the the other optimistic way to view that is not a, an immediate loss is I guess there is a chance the Titans are a better football team than the Seattle Seahawks this year. I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility either. So if that's the case, then maybe they just beat them, and and I am being too pessimistic, which I am always accused of being anyway. So I guess that's possible. And uh, certainly that's a coin flip game that will help the Titans determine how they ultimately end up in the season. Those are the big matchups that that kind of at the end of the day, you look back and realize how big they really were.
1: But in my view, something's wrong in Seattle. I think something's been on there for a couple years. I mean, okay. if you When you look at Seattle, look at their tracker across the board, a couple of Super Bowls, but since that last Super Bowl bid, have they even sniffed it again? They'll win the division. They'll get the playoffs. They pretty much every year end the year, though, looking like hot to garbage. They lost at home to the Rams in the playoffs this last year. A team they had just beaten a couple weeks before. They're, and yet they have... An elite quarterback, one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Mm -hmm. They have supposedly one of the best coaches in the league, have great defenders out there. You know, so what's the problem in that franchise? To me, as weird as it sounds, Routine has won so many division titles and been to so many playoff games, they've underachieved since that Super Bowl win. There's just something not right about the Seahawks. And by the way, I would have said the same thing about the Rams in the last couple of years. Something wasn't right there. Yeah, you know, we now know what right. it was. Well,
4: I think that was the Jared Goff thing, the the it yeah. was obvious the coach didn't, didn't want the quarterback and I think in Seattle, I mean, just theorizing of course. Number one, you look at the offensive line, they have spent very little on the offensive line over and over and over again to the behe- you know, to where, you know, Russell Wilson is upset and I also think I think that they had their most success when they had a very strong defensive locker room in terms of personalities. I think like a Steph Curry who has a Draymond Green to make a basketball comparison. Russell Wilson isn't a guy that's going to galvanize the locker room. There's something about him. Seems a little artificial, seems a little Splenda to me, and I'm (laughs) sure that you know it's not just me. I'm sure there are people in the locker room who feel like that about him, and we've heard little whispers about that. So I think having Russell Wilson as the driving personality in your locker room just ultimately isn't the way that you're going to win big. That's why they were more successful in the Legion of Boom personalities we're kind of driving that team, and he was more of a supporting character than the lead.
1: I mean, I would look at Russell Wilson as being the kind of guy. You know, us having played him and seeing the Rams beat him up a lot because that offensive line's been so terrible. But I see him as the kind of guy who, as if you if you're on his team, you can have confidence that he'll make a play. You have confidence at what he's what he's capable of doing on the field, but you're not going to look to him to be your emotional leader. And I think it's kind of right. what you're saying. And so yes, exactly. you're going to look at him to lead with his play, not with his voice. And I, so I 100% agree, but you can also look at him to, to not lead when he's tired of getting beat up and the rumors are in the freaking news media about how unhappy he is. You know, And anybody on that team, I think if you really want to win the Super Bowl and really want to see your team do well, would be unhappy with how – the Seahawks have managed the, the offensive line situation. But then again, this is not about the Seahawks. It's about the Titans. So bringing it back to you. Hey, it's a
4: good football conversation. Yeah, way.
1: But bring it back to you. That's why I think you know any team going to Seattle this year is has a shot because they're they're not the same franchise, in my view. And maybe it'll meet my words. Maybe I will meet my words at the end of the year. But I've been feeling this way for a couple of years now, and I haven't been proven wrong yet. Yeah. I just haven't and there, there was a lot they could say about the Rams, too. Like, what's wrong with the Rams? Well, you know, how come Jared Goff is, you know, what's going on with God? What happened to Todd Gurley? Well, you know, there's a lot going on there. And, you know, every team, I think, has their skeletons. But how do you handle those skeletons? We're going to find out. You know, now the skeleton for the Rams is gone. Now what? They, they made some sacrifices, that would be, by that the would way. Be the question.
4: Well, that's why it's such a game that I'm worried about for the Titans going to the west coast of the country, playing a primetime game. Matthew Stafford now I mean the Rams were pretty good Sean Mm -hmm. McVay like I already shouted out some of the schematic things he does on offense that I admire that I hope the Titans do so you add that sort of mind with a quarterback who can execute the things that the coach is thinking it makes the Rams uh, a very dangerous team and that kind of brings me back full circle to what I was talking about when we first topped on and maybe that'll give the Titans and the Rams a chance to rematch things in the Super Bowl if things go well for both teams I think there's the potential there
1: I think there is. I think with the Rams, I, I actually, more. I have more questions about the Rams than I do the Titans. I think the Titans are, are in a great position to win their division. I think they're in a great position to, to be a solid Super Bowl contender. With the Rams, you're in the toughest division in football. And we, we don't like talking about this much. The Rams have sacrificed a lot of depth on the roster to get a quarterback here. And they've done this also with cornerbacks. <laughs> they've done this across the board. I mean, they you know they've been very unorthodox in terms of your first round picks. They haven't had a first round pick since I think you know the birth of Christ. So, right. I mean, at this point, those eventually do catch up with you, and they know it. The thing is, they've been so good at developing players in the middle rounds of the draft. They've been amazing at it. But now you've had a complete overhaul of your your Sky Department, because half of it went to Detroit. You right. lost a lot of coaches to Detroit. I mean, your, your defensive coordinator, who was fantastic, now, is now the head coach of your crosstown rival, Chargers.
4: Yeah, that's it's, a big loss, too. I, I think. It, I, I'm very high on Stanley.
1: Yeah, and Raheem Morris is a fantastic coach, and he, he made you fine. But at the same time, that same, that same uh, nucleus of the Rams is now a bit older. We seen Donald, We saw Dahl get hurt last year. We saw what happened when Dahl got hurt. You know the, 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 His play and Ramsey's play together was able to cover for a rather weak linebacking core. And did they really do much to fix that? I, I don't know. After I don't, they
4: lost Corey Littleton, right? That, that was mean, a loss that they well, had. Well, so
1: it was one, but Littleton also was a fit in their system. And look how well he played away from that system. And he wasn't really a big run stopper. He was a guy who could pursue. He was fast. He made plays, a playmaker, but he wasn't a run stopper. They needed a run stopper who could, who could also be a bit of a playmaker. Um, and, and they never really have a they losing him hurt. Um, big loss, in my view, out there was John Johnson to the, to the Browns. That, that was devastating for the Rams, yeah. in my view. And loss. I mean, they, are, they, they have drafted very well at safety, so it may turn out fine. It, it may turn out just fine. But. That guy was their defensive signal caller. He was the field general. I love the guy. Seeing him go, hurt. So, you know, if we want a Titans-Rams-Super Bowl again, I think, in all honesty, even with the Browns and the Chiefs and the Steelers and the Ravens I, I and the Colts, I think there's a better walk, an easier walk, for the Titans and the Rams to get back to the Super Bowl. Just my view.
4: Yeah. Well, I mean, either way, I, either team, they're going to need some things to break right. They're going to need a little bit of luck, as all teams. Mm-hmm. But it would be nice, and it would be karmatic for the season to finish off with the Titans finally getting that revenge. So, you know, just the things that I lay up at. You night getting three, revenge uh, for the last got, twenty years.
1: You getting revenge? We got Jeff Fisher after you had him. Come on, man, that dude. I, their- I guess that was uh,
4: <laughs> was retaliation all in itself. <laughs>
1: Fisher ball, middle school offense. Legs,
4: you?
1: <laughs> oh my gosh, fisher ball. I, I'm going to start shaking, rocking back and forth now. That, that, that's that been forever scarring. Record. All right, so make a foul prediction, though. How far, what's your team's record at the end of the year, and how far do you think they go?
4: So ultimately, I think that the Titans do end up 12-5. and 5. I think they win the AFC South. Um, I'm kind of in this... I ultimately think that they lose the AFC championship to the Buffalo Bills. I, I think that the odds of the Chiefs going to the Super Bowl three years in a row is just so unlikely. When was the last time that happened? The Cowboys or the Bills in the 90s? We just do not see teams go two times in a row to the Super Bowl. We saw the, or three times in a row. We saw two times with the Seahawks, uh, the Broncos, Right. I think both those teams Mm -hmm. uh, went twice in a row. The Patriots obviously have done it a few times. They haven't gone three in a row in quite some time, though. So we've seen a lot of teams go twice, but we have not seen a lot of teams go three times in a row. That takes a toll on bodies, that takes a toll on teams. So I think there's a very good likelihood that the Chiefs do not make the Super Bowl this year after winning it and then making it. And that leaves an opening, and I think that it will come down to the Bills or the Titans, uh, whoever wins that game. And I, I think right now I trust the Bills' defense. I think both offenses are really good, but I trust the Bills' defense led by Sean McDermott more than I trust the Titans' defense led by Mike Vrabel, who hasn't shown that he can be a part of a competent defense in his entire career as an NFL coach. So I'm going to say that the Titans lose in the AOC championship game, but depending on how the bracket plays out, if the Titans don't have to play the Bills and the Titans play the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game, I think just law of averages, the Titans make it to the Super Bowl at that point. So it depends. If it's Titans-Bills at the end, the Bills advance. If it's Titans-Chiefs, give me the Titans.
1: Interesting. I, I look at the at the Bills, and I, I think that they're still even a work in progress. Like, they're a team that... They haven't even reached their peak yet. To me, the Chiefs are yep, just... Exa-
4: well, that's the scary part. If yeah. they do, then I think they're... I, I for real feel like The law of averages, I try to look at everything very logically. There's just no way the Chiefs are going to make three Super Bowls in a row. It just doesn't happen no matter how great your quarterback is, no matter how great of a system you have set up. Things happen in the NFL. Things don't break your way. And I think with that in mind, there will be a new AFC team representing in the Super Bowl. And I think the Titans and the Bills are the top two. I know some people are high on the Browns. People like the Ravens. I get that but I'm not as high on them as other people. So the Titans and the Bills are my two picks, and it- it'll be interesting to see who actually does come out of there. Cool.
1: I think one, to me, in my view, the AFC is better than the NFC this year. Yeah.
4: yeah, yeah, I think that's probably fair. But, of course, we always think we know and how strong or how tough or how weak schedules are, and then teams we think are good mm-hmm. or never good and teams we think are bad or end up being good. So that's the best part about the NFL is uh, you really never know until you know, unlike most sports.
1: I mean, I'm, just at, I'm just looking at talent. I mean, we can talk, well the the Browns I f you on paper the Browns are loaded. Okay? On paper the Bills are loaded. Titans are loaded. Chiefs are loaded. It's four teams and any other year could be a Super Bowl contender, a Super Bowl yep. winner, in my view. Those are loaded teams. look at look at the NFC and Drew Brees retires from the Saints. The, the, NFC, the whole NFC East just isn't up to par yet. The Packers have Aaron Rodgers problems. And the NFC West could very well beat the crap out of each other the whole year. Exactly.
4: Cannibalization.
1: So, I mean, I just look at the AFC and think, that's that's the conference to watch this year. That's the conference. That's going to be fun come playoff time.
4: There's a lot of good teams in there. It's going to be definitely difficult. But, uh, you know, obviously you can only play one team each week. So we're just going to see these teams kind of knock each other out. It'll be interesting to see who the last one standing is. and kind of makes me sad thinking about it cuz the football season is still too far away but hey maybe we should uh talk again during the season before that big uh primetime match uh,
1: I, I think we should I think we always do a, we always do a, a preview a podcast and we always bring on the opposing team I think we that's there's an open invite for you right there come on back and and we'll preview that game and and uh you know I'm, I'm, I'm always game to come on your show as well and talk a little bit of Rams just saying yeah I'm
4: gonna need that crossover information. I love providing additional context that obviously is someone I like watching all the football every week, but uh you know obviously I can't watch everybody else when I'm spending so much time watching the Titans. so I definitely rely on others during game week to come over and kind of contextualize things that I'm seeing in my brief film study, so I absolutely would appreciate getting some of that insight later in the year.
1: There you go. there we go. We on air just making this schedule pencil penciled in all right so can you let folks know tyler where they can find all of your work where you can find your podcast and everything go ahead and give your give your work a shout out sure
4: sure i'll get my shameless plugs in. i I have (laughs) uh like i said shameless i have no shame when it comes to the promotion but obviously the locked on titan podcast you can find that on any podcast app that anybody uses spotify apple stitcher what radio.com or the odyssey app uh, anything that you use you can find the locked on titans podcast the number one tennessee titans podcast in the world sorry i can't help it i'm exciting news you can follow me on twitter at tic tac titans i actually just got verified i'm a celebrity so just letting everybody know (laughs) i'm famous i don't know if i'll talk to the more. if you need something from me get a hold of my people uh, You know, all of those caveats in there, but no, seriously, uh, I do a lot of film work. So that'll be interesting for Rams fans, uh, fans during Rams week. And like I said, I've shared clips of the Rams offense just because it's an inspiration. Sean McVay really is a guru out there. So uh, at Tic Tac Titan on Twitter, uh, you can find my endless ramblings and then a little bit of film work sprinkled in there as well. But I had a great time coming on and I definitely do uh, uh, appreciate an opportunity to talk some ball with you.
1: you got thanks so much. and. We'll talk to you come playoff time. Maybe. Actually, before then. <laughs> sure. I wasn't lying when I said the AFC, I think, is stronger than the NFC this year. I mean, you've got the Browns. You've got the Bills. You've got the Chiefs, the Titans, the Colts, the Ravens, the Steelers. Not all those teams are Super Bowl teams, but they are strong teams. They are teams that will compete for playoffs at the very least. And when I look at the NFC, it's just not there. There are questions everywhere, whether ranging from the Packers to the Bears to the Rams even. We talked about those. There's a question about the 49ers, the Seahawks. There's a lot of questions there when it comes to all these teams. And I just think there are fewer when it comes to the AFC right now. And so I'm really thinking the AFC is a stronger conference. Heading into the season that may change as time goes on. And with all that in mind, I guess we're going to find out. But in the meantime, it's time for us to go. We'll be back later on this week with another episode of the Tour on the League. Follow us on Twitter at Talk Rams or on Facebook at Rams Talk. We also have a page, Rams Talk Room, the group, and of course our webpage that is Ramstalk.net. We're looking for writers for the 2021 season. So email us at Rams Talk 1945 if you're interested. Understand that we are an independent organization that just is just doing this because we love the Rams. So if you're thinking big bucks, no, but we can help you get started in the business. So check us out. All right. Well, that's all for today. Until next time, we're out of here. Have a great one.